The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, we ask that you would now meet us here, help us to focus, help us to hear whatever it is you have gathered us here today to hear. Whether we're in this room or online, help us to believe that this is a moment that you have arranged. Help us to trust that and help us to trust you in it and to know that you see us in all of our contradictions and all of our complexity and your response is always to move towards us to restore and heal and renew with your love. Give us grace to trust and believe that now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how was Christmas? You know, this is kind of the time you ask that. You can't really ask it last week because so many people are still transitioning. And then so there's those people that are in denial that their Christmas is over. You know, I know I saw on Curb Your Enthusiasm recently that Larry David was running for office. And one of his things was, is nobody can celebrate Christmas after January 7th. And the person said, sign me up. I want to be a part of your team. So how was Christmas? And the reason I ask that is because I know that Christmas is complicated for a lot of people. A lot of my time as a pastor during Christmas, I've normally got at least one or two people that are going back into a harrowing family situation, and I'm doing tech support pastoral care during Christmas break. Because Christmas can be difficult. And this is why I think that this is such a timely subject for us to look at today, a timely passage this thing the church does each year reminding us of Jesus' baptism on this particular Sunday. Because all those people gathered around with John the Baptist, and let's say he's kind of a weirdo, right? I mean, he's very eccentric. And uh, truth be told, all of us are that way. We're all eccentric in our own way. And John the Baptist was certainly pretty weird, and a whole bunch of people around him. And why are they there? Well, they're kind of pushing reset. They're doing a lot of what we often do this time of year. We ask hard questions of ourselves. We ask ourselves, what do we want this year to look like? I just need to push reset. I just want to be cleansed. I want to be clean, and I want a fresh start. That's what this crowd is about, and that's what we are about in many ways this time of year. But also it's timely because of what I just said a second ago, and that is that often we go home for Christmas or we go somewhere, or maybe just Christmas brings up all sorts of other things for us 
And we just need a big gulp of pure gospel love. And this passage has it. Because baptism is really about being drenched in, in gospel love. I love how Anne Lamont talks about baptism in her book, Traveling Mercy. She said, most of what we do in worldly life is geared toward our staying dry, looking good, not going under. But in baptism, in lakes and rain and tanks and fonts, you agree to do something that's a little sloppy because at the same time, it's also holy and absurd. It's about surrender, giving in to all those things we can't control. It's a willingness to let go of balance and decorum and to get drenched. Isn't that great? So what does it mean to step into the Jordan with Jesus? What does it mean to get drenched with Jesus? And I just have three things I want you to focus on. Three things we see in this passage. We see water, we see a dove, and we hear a voice from heaven. So water, dove, voice. First of all, water. I've got a newsflash for you. The Jordan River is kind of gross. If you've ever got a chance to visit the Jordan River, if you're like me, you will be shocked a little bit because I'm envisioning pristine, beautiful fountains. Where else would the Son of God go to get baptized, right? Except the perfect river. And it is absolutely gross. It's very muddy. It's pretty shallow in places. At least the day I went. Actually, I've been twice. And both times it was a muddy mess. And I would imagine it was the same way when Jesus walked into those waters as well. Whenever you visit there, all these people are negotiating. Am I going to go in there and dunk myself, you know, kind of do the whole Apostle EF thing? If, that's, if you remember that movie, I won't go into it. Um, we'll talk about it later. Uh, but uh, just to baptize themselves. And I, I thought about it. and I was like, I don't think so. The waters of Lakeside Baptist Church from 1970 will just have to do fine. Um, so, but, you know, baptism does, uh, it, this, this water in some ways is perfect, though, because we're muddy people. And a muddy baptism just sounds so on brand for what God is doing in Jesus Christ. It should jolt us. And baptism does jolt. I get to see it up here firsthand all the time. Last week, I was baptizing a couple kids, and somebody had mercifully warmed the water. I'm not sure who, who did that. Carl, was that you? Somebody, it was not as cold as it could have been, because it was about 100 degrees below zero last week in this place. And, uh, and you know, but the fun thing about it is, you know, the, the kids come up here, and sometimes they're crying, and sometimes they're not. And either way is fine. But the water tends to have an impact. And almost every time, if they're up here crying, as soon as I put the water on them, and it's so, sometimes I just want to laugh, because They'll be, and all of a sudden they'll just go, like, what just happened, right? And they just relax a little bit, you know? But other times they're just fine. And then that horrible human being puts water on top of their head. That horrible Fred Harrell just wrecks them, and they just cry like crazy. Because water does both. Water can be both soothing and terrifying. It can be... It can be the little trickle of water you hear, perhaps like I used to in my therapist's office, and I would just go, ah, zen. <laughs> or it can be the hurricane that comes and wipes out this in an entire city. Water is both of those, and there's a very good chance there's one way for you to know if you're dealing with the real God, if you're dealing with Jesus, you might be feeling both soothed and terrified at the same time. Because the waters of baptism are soothing. They represent the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They represent the cleansing of sin. And they also represent the invitation to follow Jesus. 
and to take up your cross eventually is what he will say and follow him into the Jordan and into this world and just as Jesus steps into the Jordan and stands in muddy solidarity with John the Baptist the weirdo and all the other weirdos like us we're also called to do the same thing it's soothing it's terrifying and notice this Jesus is not in those waters alone because Whenever we really begin to think about our baptismal identification and our identity, you know, it's, it's a little bit terrifying because it's challenging. Jesus asks us to follow him, and it's terrifying, and it can get you in a lot of trouble, just as it did Jesus. And so you need other people around you. You need the community of baptism to say, I'll hold your hand right now because it looks like you're falling to pieces. I'll walk with you right now because it looks like things are really hard. You're never alone in this. Jesus did not get baptized alone. That is significant. That's something to remember. So in 2022, how are you standing in solidarity with others? Debbie Thomas says this about Jesus. He says, Jesus' first public act is an act of alignment. His first step is a step towards us. Let it be so, he says to John in Matthew's version of the story echoing the radical consent of his mother, Mary, who raises him in the faith. Let it be so at the hands of another, he decides, indicating that his power lies in his capacity to surrender, to share, and to submit. Let it be so here, he further decides, in the Jordan River, with its rich and sacred history, the Jordan where once upon a time Jesus' forebears, the ancient Israelites, entered the land of Canaan, the Jordan where the prophet Elijah ended his prophetic ministry and his successor Elisha inaugurated his, the Jordan which flowed under the same sky that God first opened in the beginning at the dawn of creation. So that's the water, the dove. Why is the dove something we should look at? Here's why. Let me kind of do a Rick Steves and take you back to the ancient time in Rome when there was such a thing called an augury. A-U-G-U-R-Y. What in the world am I talking about? What is an augury? An augury is someone who would be interpreting omens based on the behavior of birds. Game of Thrones, anyone, right? Based on the behavior of birds. And Mark was written in 60 or 70 AD, CE, however you like to say it. And so they would be very familiar with this practice of people who would read the auspices, is what they would say, call this. And they would read, they would observe the behavior of birds to interpret different omens. And so what's interesting to the first century audience is there's no surprise that there are birds involved in these stories. And what's significant about this and what Mark is doing, I believe, subversively is this. It was not an eagle that came down on Jesus, but it was a dove. Not an eagle. The sign of empire, particularly the Roman Empire and almost every empire that's ever existed. Hawks and doves, just like we talk about it today. Hmm? The eagle was a sign of empire. It would have been on every flag. It would have been on every battlement. It would have been on every shield. It would certainly would have been the bird that Caesar would demand would come and light upon him to denote power, violence, raw power, empire. But what comes down on Jesus is a dove symbolizing gentleness, symbolizing peace, symbolizing mercy forgiveness 
because the reign of God inaugurated in Jesus Christ is not the empire of Caesar. And it's not the empire of the United States of America. It's the peaceable kingdom of Jesus. So important for us to say this today. We've just been reminded in the last few days, again, of what happened a year ago. When the idolatrous, heretical impulse of Christian nationalism, which has so infected this country, that the peaceable kingdom of Jesus has nothing to do with that. And I'm telling you this, friends, because they were singing Christian worship songs next to the gallows that they had brought to kill the vice president. That's what was going on that day. And the fruit of Christian nationalism is exactly that. Singing Christian worship songs next to a gallows. That's not the fruit of the peaceable kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so stepping into the Jordan means we take up a deeper allegiance. Not to a flag, not to empire with its violence and warmongering and oppression, but to the reign of God, which is marked by love, marked by mercy, marked by forgiveness, marked by sacrificial love. What drives that? I believe it's fear. I believe it's fear. I said this in a sermon from a year ago. I never quote myself from a year ago. That's really weird, but here I am. I said one of the most radical things about the Christian faith is that it subordinates security, which is the obsession of empire. It subordinates security, which is the obsession of empire, to the love of God, neighbor, and even of enemy. Hmm? In the philosophy of empire, nothing, and I mean nothing, is more sacred than security, but the reign of God has different priorities. They might get you killed like it did Jesus. Or to quote Bernice King, daughter of MLK Jr., she said, Christ is not American. The church that follows Christ is global. Churches in the U.S. should not be embassies for America, but for the kingdom of God. The national anthem is not a gospel song, and the nationalistic rhetoric of America first is contrary to Christ. And so here we are at the beginning of 2022, and the baptism of Jesus comes to challenge you to say, where's your deepest allegiance? You can ask your spouse, or you can ask some close friends of yours. They'll, they'll help you answer that question. Your calendar will help you answer it. Your checkbook will help you answer it. And so start the year this way. Wait a second. I, I'm being asked to step into the muddy waters of the Jordan with Jesus to say my deepest allegiance is to the reign of God, our baptismal identity, to take up Jesus' agenda, and it's an agenda of love. And lastly, so we have the water, we have the dove teaching us all sorts of things, and then lastly, the voice, the voice that comes out of heaven. Look, the words out of heaven are for you too. That's my message. The words that come, look, when you were baptized, perhaps if you have been, maybe the, maybe the heavens weren't ripped open at your baptism. But these words are for you as well.
this is my child who I love, who I take delight in, who pleases me. Can you imagine God saying that about you? You are the beloved. Because we're listening to somebody to define our lives. We're listening to some voices to define our lives. Right? What voices do you listen to to define you? I'm going to tell you my experience is that the voices in our heads, and we all have this, they come out of our background, they come out of the, the trauma we had in our past, they, they come out of places we don't even know sometimes. Those voices often, usually, are voices of shame. They're voices that make you feel less than. They're not voices that lead you to believe that you are actually the beloved child of God. So what voices in 2022 will you listen to? May it be this voice. And here's what I want you to see. At this point in Jesus' ministry, what had Jesus actually done? What had Jesus done at this point in his ministry? Nothing. Nada. Zilch. It's not like God said, this is my son. He has solved world hunger, world peace. He has unlocked all the mysteries of the universe. And he has, he has read his Bible every day. And he has gone to church every Sunday. He's even taught Sunday school and handed out worship folders. He even became a pastor. Woo! None of that. Jesus hadn't done anything. And yet he is the beloved. Called beloved. Do you think you have to do something to be God's beloved? Jesus didn't. It's really important to remember today. I was listening to a sermon, or reading a sermon from a few years ago from Nadia Bowles-Weber, and she talked about this story she'd heard on the radio. And it was a story about how studies have been done where elementary school teachers were told at the beginning of the term that certain children in their classroom were gifted, regardless of the actual capacity of these children. And the study showed that by the end of the year, those kids were scoring off the charts from their peers. They became what they were believed to be. God is like that. God is like a teacher who's been duped into thinking you are gifted and then treats you like you're special, and then that's what you end up being. That's the pure gospel love I was talking about earlier. God believes deeply about you before you do about you and your belovedness. And part of what it means to be a Christian is you live your life starting to finally believe that you are the beloved. You need to hear this. I mean, maybe after a Christmas that made you feel less than. 
maybe after a family system that never seemed to really get you. Maybe after being traumatized by an insurrection in the midst of a pandemic. Maybe after trying to parent now for two years in a pandemic. Maybe after being betrayed again. Maybe after finding out that your future is up in the air. Maybe whatever that needs to be filled in for you. This is exactly what you need to hear. From the one voice that really matters. Beloved. Beloved. Or to split the word up. Be loved. In 2022, I am going to be loved. I'm going to figure out how I can sit and relax and receive what is already true about me. That I am the beloved of God. So I want to end today with a poem by Jan Richardson called Beloved. You can do whatever you want with this. You can close your eyes and just let it rush over you. Or you can read it. I like to read poetry when it's being read to me, but that's, that's up to you. But I want us to allow this, these words to reset us as we head into 2022. Beloved. Is there any other word that needs saying, any other blessing could compare with this name, this knowing? Beloved comes like a mercy in the ear that has never heard it, comes like a river to the body that has never seen such grace. Beloved comes holy to the heart aching to be new, comes healing to the soul wanting to begin again. Beloved, keep saying it, and though it may sound strange at first, watch how it becomes part of you, how it becomes you, as if you never could have known yourself anything else, as if you could ever have been other than this. Beloved. Gracious God, we so desperately need to believe this in a more profound and transformative way than perhaps ever before. Give us grace today. Fill us with your presence in a way that we might know that our deepest and truest self is your beloved child in whom you are well pleased. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.